Well, my family uh, has been to Disneyland in California about 38 times. We have relatives that live out there that live close, and we've just, as a kid, I went out and back, and now Jonathan, our son, lives there, and so we go back and forth. But in Florida, we've only been twice. And I remember the very first time that we went to Epcot in Florida, that they had a ride And when I got off that ride, I said to myself, that will preach. So we're standing in line, and there were two lines. One was the regular line, and the other was the you're going to get really scared line. And we're all looking at each other, and David and I, my Air Force son, are like, we're going in that line. So we went in that line, and I think the rest of the family went in the other line. And all this ride was, was you... A door opens and you see this box. And the box is, you know, yay high and about 10 feet wide and maybe 20 feet long. And then a door of the box opens and you go in and you're going for a jet fighter pilot ride. But as you walk in, you see the box. And you know this box is not going anywhere. It's a big box, and it's just like, okay, so I go in there, and I'm the first one in, and David's sitting beside me, and they, you know, okay, sit down, and they strap you in, and I'm, I'm like, what, the box isn't going anywhere. Why are you strapping me in? What is up with this? And then they bring the hood down, and then things start happening in front of you. And I don't know how they do it with you know, hydraulics and the, and the boxes moving back and forth. But I swear to you, at that moment, I thought I was on a jet ride through the galaxy. And my body felt it, my eyes certainly saw it, and I understood, you know, even though this box isn't moving, my brain thinks I'm on a jet propelled ride through the galaxy and we got done and you know my my emotions were going and my my breath was quick and my heart was and I'm like okay well that was good I, I wonder if those in the the lighter line had the same experience and they came out and they said yeah same thing but I remember just thinking I knew when I went on the ride I wasn't going anywhere But they brought a hood down over my eyes and they purposely fooled me into believing I was in a jet-propelled spaceship or airplane or whatever and I was flying through the galaxy. And for a two-minute time, I believed it. I knew I was still in the box, but they had me fooled and it was good. And I walked out of that And I said to myself, that will preach. Because as I think through my life and your life, that is exactly what happens to us every day. Because the enemy of your and my soul, Satan himself, every day is putting a hood in front of you and trying to get you and I to believe things that are not true about ourselves, about God, about our circumstances, and he's trying to get us to believe something that is not true. And as I thought of what I would 
talk about as we move into a new year, I said, I'm going to preach that ride today. We're going to talk about the enemy of our souls. We're going to talk about how he tries to put a hood over us and dupe us and get us to believe things that aren't true and how we can fight against that to honor him every day of 2018. So first of all, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Who is Satan? Who is this enemy of our souls that is trying to fool us into believing things that are not true? Well, in seminary, we learned all kind of uh, theological issues when it comes to, you know, how did he life, how did his life begin and who is he and blah, 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 and all that. But for our purposes today, I just want you to really understand one thing. Jesus puts it best in John chapter 8. You don't have to go there, it's going to be on the screen. But at the core of his being, Satan is a liar. That's what we need to understand. Jesus said as he was talking to some Pharisees that he wasn't very happy with, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, I love this thought, he is speaking his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Most people in this room uh, speak English as your native language, I'm guessing. Maybe there's somebody who has come over from another country and that's not true. But when you think of Satan, I want you to think that Satan's native tongue is lies. That is what he is all about at the core of his being. He has lied from the beginning. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. If you want to follow along in a Bible that's in front of you in one of the chairs, we're just on page 2. But in Genesis 2 and 3, we see a quick version of this very first lie in the lives of God's children. So in chapter 2 of Genesis, starting in verse 16, God was going to talk to Adam and Eve. And it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you will surely die. So that's what God said. Now, just run over to chapter 3, verse 1. Here's how God's clear directions get played out we, Adam heard it, now it's been passed on to Eve, and now Eve and Satan are having a little conversation. Now the serpent, verse 1 of chapter 3, was more crafty than any other of the beasts in the field that the Lord God has made, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's already starting to twist it. He knows that's not what God said. And the woman said, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, God didn't say that, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, well, you will surely not die, for God knows 
that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the very first interaction, you know, God's talking to Adam and Adam and Eve have that conversation and then Eve's talking to the devil and all he has done in that first interaction is twist the truth, add to the truth, create lies, and get her to doubt the truth that she had received from God. Well, Peter says that it didn't stop with the Garden of Eden, and we know it's still going on today. First Peter 5, Peter says, Be self-controlled and alert, because your enemy, the devil, he is prowling around like a roaring lion. He is looking for someone to devour, and obviously not trying to eat them. He's trying to get them to believe him and his untruths. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. I want you to know that Satan is alive and well. I'm guessing we all know that. And he is continuing to lie to us on a daily basis. But here's the hardest part of that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that when Satan lies, it doesn't seem like it's a lie, and he actually comes across, not as the, the guy with horns, with the pitchfork, evil looking, but he comes across pretty nice. Paul's talking about false teachers in the church, and in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 13, he says, For such men, these false teachers, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. When Satan lies to us, it's not like he's trying to, oh, here, drink this poison. It's really awful. No, no. Satan comes across, oh, this is good for you. It'll taste good. It's wonderful. You'll be happy. And he comes across as an angel of enlightenment, and he's going to help us in our life. Haven't you ever tried to convince a loved one or a friend of yours who you know is heading down the wrong path and has been lied to by the world and Satan and you try to convince them that that's not good and they, they just don't buy it. They don't see that it's a bad thing. It seems fine. And that's exactly how Satan works most of the time. His lies aren't evil-sounding, evil. They sound wonderful, and especially in our culture today, where there really is no truth, by the way. You know, this, many in our culture would say there is no truth. His lies seem like they are so good. How many of you are old enough to remember Bugs Bunny? Anybody with me? Bugs Bunny? Yeah. I... Remember in Bugs at least one time, if not more than once, Bugs was presented with an opportunity to do something really mean. And all of a sudden, two little individuals pop up. An angel and a devil. And they're about this tall on his shoulder, and they're both whispering things in his ear. And that may be too simplistic, but... When I think of how Satan works, 
That's exactly what's going on. He's just whispering things in your ear. This is going to be good. No, you'll like this. The outcome will be great. Just go for it. It's all about what you want. And he's whispering in your ear things that seem really good. So in 2018, we start by saying, okay, I am in a battle. And my battle is against the enemy of my soul, and his name is Satan, and this guy is a liar. So how does our battle with Satan work on a daily basis? How does that work on a day-to-day basis? What's our plan to fight against a liar? What do we do? Well, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, if you have a Bible from the seat in front of you, it's on page 979. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be starting in verse 10. So Paul is done with the book of Ephesians, and he's given them lots of instructions in the last half. Here's how I want you to live. I want you to be unified. I want you to be together in this. I want you to not do this. I want you to do this. And he's given him all kinds of instruction in the second half of the letter. But before he's done, Paul's really bright in how this would work out best. He says, I want you to understand as you try and live for the Lord, how are you going to do that? Verse 10. Finally, before I'm done, i got to tell you this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on God's armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we really don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because that's true, because our battle is against Satan, really, and all his lies, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you might be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand." Stand, therefore, having felt fastened on the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having the readiness of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming, lying darts of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul says, if you're going to have a shot at, at really following the Lord well and what I've asked you to do in, in this letter, you're going to have to rely on him and his power and his protection for you on a daily basis. So we've got this plan to fight a liar. We're in this battle, verse 12. You're really not wrestling against your boss It's really not an issue with you and your spouse or your kids or all those things that bother you. This is really a spiritual battle every day between you and Satan and not believing his lies. And then 
You're going to recognize, verse 13, that you need God's help. You're taking the armor of God, the, the, the things that God gives you to protect you and to give you a chance in this battle. And then we could spend a whole sermon on verses 14 to 17, which of each of these pieces of armor, what they are and how they work. But notice how much of the information deals with truth the belt of truth, righteousness, I am right before God, I am at peace with God, all these things that Satan would want to lie to us about. And you might think sometimes, and I certainly think sometimes, you know, this spiritual battle really isn't that big a deal. I mean, really, is, is knowing the truth and, and having that at our side all the time really that big a deal? Well, God says it's very important and in a world where truth isn't even really recognized, it becomes even more important. Think of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is going into ministry, and Satan comes to him. And three times, Satan tries to lie and get Jesus to, to buy into his plan. And what does Jesus do every single time? He goes to the truth of the word of God and he recites it back to say that may be true Satan but God says and because he knows the truth that is his way of fighting against Satan and if Jesus needs God's word and the truth from God to do that I think that we would need that as well and lastly as you try and think through how am I going to do this I want you to remember that you were never called to fight this fight alone. I have a good, good friend in my life that has kind of said, I don't need the church. I got a relationship with God. Me and Jesus are good. But why do I need to go to church? And my answer is, Theologically, I could go to all these different places in the Bible that you, know, you need to have this community that you're with. It really comes down to because you're not strong enough to do this yourself. That's what it really comes down to. That's why we gather together on Sunday morning and encourage each other with things of God in our worship, in our scripture reading and stuff like that. That's why we encourage you to, you know, to be in a Bible study or in a life group and, and come alongside with people to help them and have them come alongside you as you struggle through these things as well. 1 John 4, John says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the evil spirits that he's talking about, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. But when you look at that verse, you have to understand the word you is plural. You all, dear children, are from God, because the one who is in you all is greater than he who is in the world. God never meant us to fight this battle ourselves. And when we have people who are like-minded and like-faith and are heading in the same direction, it helps us and we're coming alongside to help them. It's, it's no secret that even our senior pastor right now is struggling 
to have his 51-year-old brother die like that on Thanksgiving Day. He is struggling through that. In a, he's never gone through something like this. I've never gone through something like that. And it's been good for him to have people in his life that can speak truth to him on staff and, and leaders in the church and many of you who have written him things. Those things come alongside him and encourage him through a time when lies from Satan could easily start heading into his heart and his mind. God said, I never meant you to fight this battle alone. That's why we do this community thing called church and we get involved with each other. I even think in my illustration, I went into that jet fighter and David was right next to me. And even when I thought, oh my gosh, you know, am I going to lose my cookies here? Well, at least David was there with me. And, and we can do this together. So we fight Satan's lies by recognizing that the real battle every day is with him, not with people like we typically think it is. By admitting that we need God's help, we can't do this alone. We put on the, the armor of God and his power and we understand that, that by linking arms with other people who are fighting the same fight, we are going to have a lot better chance of winning. So let's get practical. What does this daily spiritual battle of not allowing Satan to dupe us look like? What does that look like in practical ways? Well, we're going to start by looking at the New Testament and seeing a few people that got duped or almost got duped by Satan and kind of turn it to us and say, how does that work in our lives? So in Matthew chapter 16, we have the beloved disciple coming alongside Jesus in every way, and he is going to be duped by Satan. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and raised on the third day to life. And Peter, one of the uh, strong disciples, what does Peter say? Never, Lord. Oh, no, no, no. This should never happen. And Jesus turned to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of God. Of men. Satan literally worked Peter over. He's going to work him over again as he denies Jesus three times. But he works Peter. Oh, this can't be a good idea that Jesus is going to the cross. No, he's got to stay with you. And from Peter's mind, that, that all sounded good. And Jesus said, You have let Satan get in my way. That's not the plan. Acts chapter 5, we have first followers of Jesus in the church. And what was going on is they were taking some serious offerings. And the people of the church were literally giving everything they had and, and letting the elders you know, distribute it and all that. It's kind of a commune-type feel in finances. I'm not saying we should be doing that, but that's what they were doing. But 
verse 1 of chapter 5, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. And everybody was giving everything. And he's going to present the money, but he's going to put some in his pocket and not tell them that he kept part for himself. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied, not to me, not to your friends, but you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money that you receive from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to man, but to God. You had every right. You could have come to us and said, here, here's part of the money from the sale of my property. I've kept some and I'm giving some to the church. That would have been fine. But you purposely lied to us that you, like everyone else, was giving the whole thing, but you're going to hold back part in your back pocket just to make sure that you're taken care of. And Satan has filled you with doubt and, and worry and concern, and you've kept back and lied to the Holy Spirit about your gift. Satan ever lied to you about money? You did know that whoever dies with the most wins, right? That is the American way. And that if you are getting low on it, that you're really in trouble, and, and you're probably not going to make it. Not that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all he needs to do is sell one to take care of you if he needs to. Or that you might have a brother or a sister who can come alongside. Satan has all kinds of lies about money. The worst one these days is you need a lot of it to be really happy. And to have a good life, you better have a lot. In other countries, there's other lies, but in America, those are some of the financial lies that he is whispering to us, just like he whispered to Ananias and Sapphira. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's no names associated with this event, but Satan lies not in a financial way, but in a sexual way as well. He's talking to them about the relationships between husbands and wives, and he says, starting in verse 4 of chapter 7, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and, and then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of your self-control. We think that in Corinth their sexual past was so messed up that there were married people that were starting to think, well, maybe we should just forget about this whole sexual relationship. And Paul's going, time out. No, no, that is not a good idea. God provided in that way for you and your spouse, and you're supposed to be sharing in this way on a regular basis unless you agree to take a time out for a while and stuff, so that Satan won't be able to work you over and get you into temptation. 
You think our culture has any sexual temptations going on in this day for us? I think it's all over the place. We've got sex before marriage is no big deal. I just got news that one of my best friends from high school, his son, who I think is about 24, is now living with his girlfriend. And that's sad. But what I'm really interested in, and I haven't talked to him yet, I heard this secondhand through his mother, what I'm really interested in is, is my best friend really upset about this? Or is it like, you know, it, this is 2018, what's the big deal? Satan is lying to us as a culture to get us to believe that it's not a big deal to save yourself for your spouse someday, whereas God says it is. Or that sex with somebody of the same gender is no big deal. We know what's going on in that arena in these days. Whereas God says that's an abomination. Or that sexual experimentation, as long as you don't go all the way, is no big deal. Whereas God says, all kind of pornea, that's the word in the Greek in the New Testament, any kind of sexual experimentation before marriage or outside of marriage is wrong. That's God's opinion. But our culture, kind of like, hey, no big deal. So we've got lying in the arena of finances. We've got lying in the arena of sexuality. What about Ephesians chapter 4? Verses 25 to 26, Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truth to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. And in your anger, when you get angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, so that you would give the devil a foothold. The devil uses our emotions that are given to us by God and will whisper in our ear and get to twist them. Being angry is not a sin, but lashing out in a sinful way while you're angry is a sin. Or maybe there's an issue of pride. You can get you on that. Oh, you're so wonderful. You don't need God and other people. Or uh, there's an issue of self-esteem. You're the dirt of the world. And he, and he plays with your emotions. Maybe he gets you to believe the lie of our time that telling most of the truth is really a good thing. You don't have to tell all the truth. You know, little white lies, no big deal. Or he gets you to worry. He gets you to be anxious. You know, God, God really isn't going to take care of you. You know, he might be on vacation in the midst of this problem. And uh, I just don't know that you can really trust him. Rather than saying, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going on, but I believe that God is there and he can work this out with me. So, financial, sexual, emotional areas, Satan is lying to us and we need to go to God, we need to join arms with others and work through what does God's word say? What is the truth of God in this area? We're not going to listen to what Satan and the culture has to say, but we are going to stand firm in the truth of God. But there's two other 
areas that Satan lies in that I wanted to share with you from some books that I've read that are really maybe not as obvious, but in my opinion, they're, they're worse. And it's just all over the place in our culture in these days. In a book called The Divine Commodity, a book written about eight years ago, the author brings up a really interesting point about how we view God. And his main premise is that many Western believers have turned God into a commodity, something that doesn't have value in of itself, but only has value as it is useful to me. His premise in this book is that many Western believers, people who have come to Christ and love Jesus, have turned God into a cosmic butler or the cosmic Coke machine. You know, a butler is somebody when you ring the bell, he comes running to do your bidding, right? Or a Coke machine, when I put my, in my day, 25 cents, now 75 cents in the Coke machine, I get my Coke, I get what I want. And I think there's a lot of Christians and, and there's a tendency, even for those of us who love Jesus a lot, to see God as this cosmic butler or cosmic Coke machine. And the reason that I have a relationship with God is not to honor Him and to glorify Him, but it's better for me. If I got God on my team, it's like having Shaq and Kobe Bryant on my basketball team. I'm going to do better. And God becomes a commodity to be used in my life. I'm really not in love with him for who he is. I'm in love with him for what he can do for me. In fact, he quotes an author summing up what he sees in a lot of young people in these days, taught by old people probably, it's called MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Moralistic, God helps me be good and obey the rules. Therapeutic, God helps me be happy. And deism, you know, God just kind of usually just sits out there, but when I need him, ding dong, he'll come running and help me with what I want. And instead of viewing God as the awesome Savior, as the the words of these songs that, that Keith and Manny and the others were singing and we praise him for that and, and we want to have a relationship with him because of who he is. It's like, you know, God, it's really good to have you on my side because then I'm better off. The second book that I read was from a Chinese guy named Watchman Nee. Some of you older folks might recognize his name. He wrote before I was even born. And instead of focusing in on a lie about who God is, he focuses in on a lie that Satan has given us about who we are. And the premises of this book, entitled The Normal Christian Life, is that every person who has trusted Jesus as their personal Savior has at their disposal the ability to live a life for the Lord that most would marvel at, a life of faith and trust in God that results in confidence, excuse me, obedience to do his will 
on a daily basis. What Watchman Nee is basically saying is this. You and I have been fooled into believing that there is this special class of Christian and only that top two, three, five percent of believers in Jesus can really live a God-honoring life. The rest of us just wallow in the mud and do what we can and keep asking for forgiveness every moment and really are never going to get a whole lot better. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. That's not what he's talking about. He knows that we're going to sin probably every day. But his book would say that you and I, because of what God has given us at our disposal, have the ability to live a God-honoring life each day. We read in Romans that we're dead to sin because of our relationship with Christ. We read that we have died to Christ and that our old master, who is Satan, has no power over us. My favorite illustration of this is with my dog and my leash. Somebody gave me this one time and it just made so much sense. I trained my dog on a leash to do certain things like come, sit, things like that. Paul says in Romans, when you came to Christ, the old master who had a leash on you, the leash was cut. And he has no power over you anymore. But you were trained, and I was trained by him well. And when he says sit, we sat as unbelievers. But as a believer, the leash was cut. And so when he says sit, we don't have to sit anymore because he doesn't have the leash. He has no power. And when he says come, we don't have to come. But we're conditioned. We're conditioned to believe that we're, in our, we're still in our old state. We were so conditioned that when he said jump, we jumped, and when he said come, we come. We did it, but even though the leash has been cut and the power of Satan in our lives is gone, we still listen to him and we still do what he asks us to do. Well, I'm not sure if any of the different things we've talked about today are specifically resonating with you. But I think we could go on all day about what Satan is going to try and do to us this year. And every day he is going to work on you. He's going to work on me. I watched it again this break. I have four children. They're all grown. And you know what is true of those four children? They know the buttons to push on each other so well. It's just amazing to watch. I know those with my brother, with my wife, and all. Satan knows your buttons. And God says, first of all, you have got to believe that this is really a spiritual battle. And when you're fighting self-esteem issues, or when you're fighting sexual temptation, or when you're struggling with finances and anxiety, or whatever the issues are, this is not an issue of people and problems. It is an issue of Satan speaking in your ear 
and lying to you about the truth in that area that God has made probably pretty clear in his word. And Satan's going to say, you know, that, that's not quite true. What's really, and what will make you happier is this. And Satan is very good at this game. But if you have trusted in Christ, you have a chance every day to not give in to the lie. And when he puts the hood over your eyes, you just say, no, I'm in a box. That box is not, you know, I'm not moving, even though it seems like I'm moving. And I'm not going to be fooled by Satan. And if we'll trust God that his ways really are best and that his truth really is true for all time, and if we're willing to seek out others and, and join arms together on a regular basis and encourage each other and help each other and pray for each other, we are going to have a lot better chance of honoring the Lord this year and ending 2018 a year from today smiling. Not because everything went well this year. Not because... We're always happy in everything that happened. And not because we've had success in every area. But we can be smiling at the end of 2018 because we were in the battle. We chose to trust the commander and not listen to the enemy. And we took his game plan up every day to choose to fight back in his power, and honor him every single day.